check, check, week two. And we're going to read verses 7 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. Last week, when we started this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at the fact that Paul is calling, God is calling, the church towards unity. One of the, he says, we have one faith, one baptism, one Lord and God and Father of all. And we talked about the fact that one of the ways that the church reflects Jesus to the world and one of the ways the church reflects Jesus to one another is through our unity, is through being loving, being humble with one another, bearing with one another, carrying each other's loads. The church is meant to be a place of really in- intimate unity. So that was last week. That's what we covered this week. This week we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to look at the other aspect of what Ephesians is calling the church to and that is diversity. It's really interesting uh, because one of the things that uh, Paul focuses on Ephesians is the Trinity. He's consistently and constantly talking about the fact that we have the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit within us. We looked at that um, a couple of weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Paul gets on his knees and he prays for the church and he says, I pray that God the Father would work by sending the Spirit deep into the inner person of you so that Jesus, the love of Jesus Christ, would shine into your heart. So we see this, this triune life of God working in all of us. It's what brings us salvation and it's how God works in this world, works in people. So it makes sense... Because the Trinity is both a unity and a diversity that we as the church would express the very same thing as the life of God is within us. So here's why this is important. It's easy for the church or any group to become cult-like. You may have been a part of something that could be described as cult-like. And basically what that means is that unity is so focused upon 
that the group forgets about the diversity that God has called us to. Everyone needs to look a certain way. Everyone needs to talk a certain way. Everyone needs to dress a certain way. Everyone needs to follow the rules in exactly the same way. All of the jobs and tasks that are given to people are just slots that they come into and not what God has given them and the diversity of their gifts. It can happen anywhere, y'all. It happens to churches sometimes. And we have to be very careful of that, that instead, if we want to be a church that reflects God, that we are both unified in our love for one another, but also that we are really messy and expressing our gifts with one another. It's not clean and neat. Because each of us, there is an incredible diversity of gifts. Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. I don't have time to go through all those passages this morning. But I want to briefly touch on a, a, a handful of the gifts that God gives to the church so that you can begin to imagine what God might be calling you to, where God wants you to express your gifts. Because one of the things that uh, is most obvious about Jesus Christ when he's on earth is that he expresses all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus does all of them perfectly. And when he gives gifts, it says he ascended, right? He ascended on high and gives gifts to his people. When he spreads those gifts out, the same thing happens. There are prophet gifts, there are priest gifts, and there are kingly gifts. I don't know if you've even discovered yours yet, but let me, let me just give us some examples of some of the gifts in Scripture. One of them is parakaleo. Have you heard of parakaleo? It's, another word for it is exhortation. And I would help us to understand this idea of parakaleo or ex, the gift of exhortation. It's kind of like a coach. Do you have coaching gifts? Are you able to come alongside someone and just cheer them on in the race of life? Just be like, come on, you got this. You can do it. I experienced it last night, in fact, when we were watching the game. <laughs> wah, wah. My kids and, and, and Christy were sitting on the couch, and there was about five seconds left, and then it was 1.5 seconds left, and they were dejected, and they had assumed the game was over. But because, because God has given me a little bit of this gift, I, just a little bit, I honestly don't think it's one of the main ones, I, I got up in front of the TV and I said, Family, heroes are made in 1.5 seconds. We got this. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I imagine Tony Bennett said something similar. Heroes are made in 1.5 seconds. Then they were. Kyle Gow. Hero was made. But that's the exhortation. That's a gift. There's, another, there's a gift of teaching, which is basically the ability to communicate truths so that people actually learn. If you want to know whether you have the gift of teaching, just ask yourself, has anybody learned underneath me? Anything? <laughs> has anybody grown a little bit in their knowledge and their faith? Then you probably have some of the gifts of teaching. Then there's the gift of prophecy. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I'm just going to briefly touch on these, y'all. I don't have time to get into all the nuances, okay, this morning. But the gift of prophecy is like a cross between coaching and teaching with an extra bolt of lightning thrown in. <laughs> really, you see it with Jesus. You see it in, all, in the Old Testament scriptures. Nathan, not this Nathan. There's another one who came up to David. He was a prophet. And, right, and he tells David a story. He says, hey, you know, so there's this guy. And he has some lambs. And he's really, he's really 
nasty guy and he kills the lambs and whatever. And you know, you know, I'm not going to get into all the story, but basically David's like, kill that man. And, and you know, Nathan looks at him and is like, lightning bolt, thou art the man. Thou, and Jesus does it too, right? So Mary and Martha, uh, Martha's in the kitchen and she is frantic and she is worried and she's busy. She's trying to serve Jesus food and get ready for this big dinner party. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus' words, just being near him, touching him. And Jesus, who obviously had the gift of prophecy, just is like, Martha, Martha. And you could hear the coaching here, right? Martha, Martha. You know, Kyle guy, Kyle guy. (laughs) There's one thing that is needed and necessary right here. And, and Mary, lightning bolt, Mary has chosen that one thing. And you can just imagine, she's like, oh. so, so certainly Jesus had this. And I don't, some of you may have experienced something like that from someone or to someone. The gift of prophecy does not mean that you can interpret the future with a crystal ball. That is not what it means in Scripture. It means that you have a special way of bringing the truth like a lightning bolt into the lives of people around you. Um, that's essentially what the gift of prophecy is. Some of you may have pastoral gifts. That's another one, the pastoring gift. It's basically, uh, instead of being able to speak truth with a lot of power or bring a lightning bolt into someone's life, it's just this ability to come alongside someone and gently, tenderly care for them in their spiritual walk. It's, it has to be super special. It just means you like to listen to them. You, you gently prod or encourage um, but it's much more of a caring gift. Um, another way that the Bible puts it is shepherding. Are you able to do that? Are you able to come alongside someone and just really encourage them, care for them because they're hurting, because everyone's hurting in some way on this entire planet? Then, of course, you have the uh, gift of evangelism, the evangelist gift. And this is basically just an ability to relate well with those outside the walls of the church. You can bring spiritual truths to people in a way that others can't. Whereas, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to someone who's, who's not a Christian or still trying to explore the faith, you know, it could be, get a little jargony. You know, I've been to seminary, which messed me up in this regard. Uh, and I use big words and things like that. But you just have an ability to just talk to those outside of the church and give them, uh, they're like, you know what, I never understood it in that way until I talked with you. Um, and and the, Jesus comes to bear on their heart. The Holy Spirit works within them. That you guys get what that is. And then you have the gift of discernment. Everybody thinks they have the gift of discernment. Because <laughs> it's the ability to judge motives. And we all think we're good at, at, at judging motives. But be careful if you think you have the gift of discernment. And, and y'all, I've seen some of you in here with this gift. Where you can really, you just, you have, you, God lays things on your heart. You can see where someone's coming from, even though they can't express the words um, out of their mouth. But those who have the gift of discernment are most discerning with themselves. So it starts there. They have the ability to judge their own motives before they're judging anyone else's motives. So it's not someone who's critical, generally speaking. But, they, but it's someone who can really point out where someone is going astray and guide them back towards the flock of God. And then you have the missionary gift, of course. And... Um, Paul talks a lot about the missionary gift because I think it's definitely something he had. But it's, it's the ability to go into another culture and use your gifts without having to do much translation. You just, are, you just are fluid and natural in a whole different culture. 
And you can, you can use your gifts of teaching or you can use your gifts of exhortation or you can use your gifts, you know, something like coaching or prophecy or whatever it is. And it doesn't take you a long time to make the translation to the new culture. You just get how to do that. That's a missionary gift God gives. So those, that is a, an incredibly quick overview of some of the prophet gifts, yakking gifts. But you may not be somebody who likes to talk. <laughs> and that is perfectly fine. God has given us that diversity also. And those are what's called the priestly gifts. You find them a lot in Romans 12 and, and also 1 Corinthians 12. There's the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Are you, are you someone who's able to give well? Basically, you can just spot a need of someone and know exactly how to refresh someone with your money. And you don't have to be rich at all. In fact... You don't have to have much money in general for to you have the gift of giving. It's often for people who don't aren't rich that really truly have this the gift of giving. Um, then there's a diaconal gift called the gift of service, um, and that's just someone who loves to serve with their hands. Maybe you like to go down to the Haven, or you just you really like to take a homeless person under your wing and, and, and take them out for dinner and, and share with them and, and care for them. And you just you just like to use your hands to meet the needs of the people around you. If you have that particular gift, that's a priestly gift. There's the gift of helps. This is the, uh, I mentioned this one to Jacob. I, I hate to point people out, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, so I don't hate it that much. <laughs> but Jacob, I think, has the gift of helps. And this is just the, the uh, gift of assistance. God really gives people uh, the ability to be like a floodlight. Like you're able, you shine on, other, on me, on other people in the church, and you don't, you don't get the credit. You're just behind the scenes, you're doing some of the hard work, and you, you just are an incredible assistant. I'm bragging on a little bit, I admit it. But it's God's gift. I mean, you should just be praising the Lord for something like that, and maybe that's your gift. It is, it is one of the gifts that is most like Jesus Christ. But, or I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. Most like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that. The Holy Spirit is a floodlight on Jesus. He is generally in the background when it comes to glorifying God, when it comes to glorifying Jesus. Um, the gift of mercy. You know, someone who doesn't mind changing diapers in a nursing home. That might be someone who has the gift of mercy. It's being able to love the unlovely. Do you have that? Do you, are you able to go to places that most other people don't want to go and really care for those that are hurting or dirty or, you know, broken in some particular way. There's the gift of hospitality, which, again, you don't have to have a big house. It's like the gift of giving. Um, the gift of hospitality just means you know how to refresh people with the resources around you. It doesn't have to be money. That's why it's different. It's the gift of hospitality. Just the resources around you. Maybe you're, and maybe, hey, I meet you at a restaurant, or I'll, I'll, let, me, let me bring something to you. You know, I'll bring you a meal, or I'll bring you, I mean, I think uh, David expresses this well. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm bragging again. You know, you, you just bring food into this place and you're just saying, you're just being like, God, I want to give this to you, but I'm going to give it to your people. And it's just, it, you're refreshing us through these, through these gifts. I mean, we, we all have different gifts. And again, we get to use them together. Um, so that's the gift of hospitality. And then finally, finally, I'm, I'm trying to run through these quick. That's the priestly gifts. Then finally, you have the kingly gifts. That's the leadership gifts. Um, you know, the gift of uh, leadership. What is, what is leadership? <laughs> I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but basically, do people follow you? You could just ask yourself that. Do people follow you? 
like if you have a goal and you need to rally some troops around you to get things, something done, do people say, yeah, I'll help you with that? You have, you have the gift of leadership. It's not that complicated. Um, then there's also the gift of administration, which is someone who's... The, the gift of leadership is like being a captain of a ship. Charting the course. Here's where we're going. And, uh, you know, I can see the horizon. And, you know, batting the hatches down. The um, gift of administration is the guy who's actually at the steering wheel with the map. Going, okay, great captain. I'm glad you can see that island over there that we're heading. And you've got everybody excited about going to that island. But we have no idea how to get there. Here's a map, and we're going to take this cart, and we're going to chart over here, and we're going to go to this island first, and we're going to stop off here. And here, I've got the wheel, and I'm going to turn it. That's a gift of administration. You can take the vision of someone else, and you can make it a reality. Y'all, and the world needs administrators. Holy mackerel. Because generally speaking, a lot of those that have the gift of leadership don't have the gift of administration. I fall into that category. Um... You have the gift of wisdom. There's also the gift of wisdom. And this is just the ability to solve problems. Do you have the ability to solve problems? You may have the gift of wisdom, honestly. Again, the gifts aren't super, super complicated, the way the scriptures talk about them. Um, But, you know, wisdom can be used for individuals. You know, all of us have problems in our life, right? But it can also be used for an organization or an institution or the church itself. We have problems that need to be fixed. Are you a fixer? You might be someone who fits in that category. And then finally, the last one I'll mention today, and there's more, is the gift of faith. The gift of faith, it's not saving faith, but it's just this ability to, to be confident about what God is going to do. And you deeply encourage the people around you. You might even be combined, you know, with the gift of exhortation of God is going to take care of this. Hang on. Hang in there. You've got this. Uh, that's something along the lines of the gift of faith. That, that is an insanely abbreviated view of some of the gifts. But I just want you to, to get a picture of where you might fall. Now, you may not have resonated exactly with one of those, but maybe you just have a general sense of, you know, I fall in the prophet category. I'm, I'm good at teaching, talking, communicating, getting the word of God out. Or maybe you just, in general, fall more into the priestly category. You're just good at meeting people's needs and caring for, for other people, hospitality and just refreshing others. Or, you know, finally, you may be in the leadership category. You're just, you're good at, at guiding an organization, or you're good at leading people around you, uh, so you have one of the kingly gifts. But just, just kind of spend a, you know, even this week, spend a few minutes, kind of, where, where are you, where do you land, and where do you need to use your gifts here? Here's the application point. I mentioned it earlier, but it's okay for the church to be messy, and Ron has really helped me understand this, and I agree with you, Ron, because as I as I study the scriptures, um, it. There is this deep sense in which we need to be celebrating the diversity of gifts God's given us, the diversity of people God's given us, and not trying to squash different things so everybody falls in line into one sort of category. Um, And so if you have gifts that you feel you want to express or you need to express or the Lord is calling you to express, tell me. Tell tell someone else in the church that you see uh, in leadership. Uh, and, And let's... Let's help your gifts to flourish. That, again, that is one of my jobs. 
as the pastor teacher of the church is to, as a shepherd teacher, is to help you flourish, help you to really use your gifts. And, but I need help with that because I don't just instantly recognize what everybody's gift is. I'm going to need some encouragement of, Nathan, I really think I want to do this or we need to do this. And we'll put them together and we will come up with a plan. And that's one of the things we're going to pray about tonight during our prayer time is, Lord, um, how do we help folks to use their gifts at the church? Okay. That's point one. There is a diversity of gifts that we are given that reflects the work of the triune God in our hearts. We need diversity. Why? Well, we're told in this passage. We need diversity (laughs) because we are trying to attain maturity. We're trying to get to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. Y'all... Oh, I skipped over a section. Okay. Okay. So this is my second point. It's all about spiritual maturity. Diversity is all about spiritual maturity. Okay? So write that down if you're, if you're a note taker. But before we get to that, one of the things that is very diverse about the church is what are known as the charismatic gifts. And this one, this particular issue in Scripture, has been fairly divisive for the church. And so there is absolutely no way I can cover it this morning. Okay, Let's have some conversations. If anything pops up to you out of this little brief uh, look at this, talk to me afterwards. You know, talk, Especially talk to me before you go to the presbytery and accuse me. Uh, of, <laughs> of not following the scriptures. <laughs> I would appreciate that. But just very briefly, um, the charismatic gifts are mentioned in the lists of the giftings. You'll see a lot about tongues. You'll see something about prophecy. You'll see something about heal, the gift of healing. Um, and I think the best thing for us to understand is that there needs to be a balance when it comes to these gifts. That, that it's, it's not black and white. I, I, no one is surprised here that I would say that, right? That it's not black and white. But you may have been a part of a Pentecostal or charismatic church at some point and seen some of these things. Um, for instance, the gift of tongues. What in the world is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues, as I understand it from the scriptures, from what Paul is talking about, is basically freestyle rap. I think that's a great way to understand it. Have you ever seen someone do freestyle rap before? Uh, just grab a, somebody grabs a mic and just starts flowing. And, and a lot of times, it doesn't make a whole ton of sense. But it is just their spirit getting it out. You know, I'm, I, I would do it, but I would embarrass myself really badly. I used to do it on occasion. But the idea is, it's really between them and God. When somebody is uh, speaking in tongues... The church has gotten us all convoluted where we think it's like someone stands up, speaks in tongues, and it's like there needs to be an interpretation in the building and that uh, you know, everybody needs to hear about that interpretation. The reality is in Scripture, it is, just you, it is almost always just between the person and God, and it's like jazz or freestyle rap. It's just, you know, it's just them expressing something in their spirit to God. And the reason Paul says there needs to be some sort of interpretation of it is that he's saying it's not all about translation. You don't have to have a translation of word for word, like, okay, that was word for word. God is saying to our church, blah, blah, blah. But just, you know what? I'm feeling 
the joy of God in my heart right now. And that's just what came out. Right? There's an interpretation of it. And it, it, it's not connected to prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not meant to be something where the church is getting words from God through the tongues. It's never meant to do that. And the interpretation in the scriptures in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is that the person themselves are meant to do the interpreting. Hey, I really felt the joy of the Spirit just then. And that's what was going on with me and God. And it's always to God, right? So tongues are to God, not to the church. It's never meant to be like this prophetic instrument that the church uses to get... Uh, so that's, that's essentially what tongues are. I am not going to... We can discuss further whether you think they have ceased or not ceased. I'm just telling you what they are. And what you may have seen before if you've experienced them. Um, then there's prophecy. This one's a little tougher. Um, you know, I personally, I believe... God calls people to things, right? There's a calling. Certain people get on their lives for a certain a job, perhaps, or to move to a certain city or something. The Lord can, I think, definitely speak in these ways. But one of the ways that Paul balances this idea of God moving in someone's heart, pushing them towards a certain goal in their life or a certain decision in their life, Paul balances it by saying, you must test the spirits by the word of God. He always includes that when he talks about prophecy. There has got to be a sense in which this always falls under the word of God. You're, you're not, I, what, if tomorrow, you guys need to truly test me. If tomorrow I'm like, okay, I feel called by God. We are going to move and start meeting in that playground out there next week for worship. That's where we're going to do worship. You know, you got to be like, hold up maybe. <laughs> Let's look at the word of God. What does the word of God say about this? So, again, it always must be tested by the Scripture. So, so that's the balance I'm giving for this one, y'all. Yes, God can help, can move you towards certain directions. God can call you towards certain things, but they always must be tested by the Scriptures. And then finally, and I know I'm doing like a just absolutely 30,000 foot uh, flyover of this. Finally, does, does, he, does God heal people? That's a tough question. I mean, lots of people in the church. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And one of the things that we find through Scripture is that it's almost always through prayer. There isn't this gift. The Bible doesn't talk about this gift of like me standing up here and inviting someone who's feeling an ailment and slapping you on your head. You fall down and then somebody grabs you, picks you up, puts you back in your chair. Oh, I'm feeling so much better. It's not described in Scripture. When healing is talked about, when it... When, when James, for instance, invites elders to go over to visit someone who's ailing, they say, you know, anoint them with oil and pray. Pray. We pray for healing. There's not some, this isn't some weird voodoo miracle working thing. God is saying, we pray for the healing of other people. And we believe that absolutely God can heal people. So yeah, you might have the gift of prayer that also involves praying for the healing of other people. Okay, there. I covered them. Now, I know you probably have more questions, and there's more nuance to that. And if you want to ask me more questions, I'm super open to it. Email me, call me, talk to me. But those, I'm just trying to give a little balance to the different gifts that God, the diversity that God has given. But the point of the diversity is, is the point of the diversity is maturity. That's very important for us to understand. And that's what Paul is getting to here. The point of the diversity is maturity. When we are born into this world, let's use an analogy we are a baby. 
correct? You're an infant when you come out of the womb. And you need a village of people to raise you. Not just one person. You need a whole slew. You need, you know, friends, family, you know, aunts, uncles. There is this process which to truly grow up, to truly know who you are as a person, you need a lot of voices around you helping you to mature and to grow up. Am I right? Amen. And that's what we do together as a church. So the same principle applies when Paul is talking about the diversity of the giftings we've been given as a church. These are meant to push us towards maturity in Christ. In the same way that we are come out of our mother's womb as an infant and we're helpless and we need lots, lots and lots of encouragement, when we become a Christian, the Bible calls it being born again or new birth. It's the same thing. When the triune God moves in us and we become a Christian, we're also infants. We're infants. We're little babies. Poopy diapers. All that goes along with that. And we need a whole cacophony of loving people and voices around us to actually help us mature into who we need to be in Christ. This is why (laughs) the church has always said, hey, people... Christians especially, well, I would say not especially. Hey, Christians, you need to be in church, a church. Be involved in a church. Always be involved in a church because you, you will not mature otherwise. You will remain a spiritual infant without the voices of the people in the church around you. What, is, what are some of the characteristics of an infant? Paul describes it right here. He says, so that we won't be... No longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. One of the descriptors I would give if you've ever had kids or been around kids is that their attention is flitting to and fro constantly. Oh, you know, squirrel over there. Oh, green ball. Oh, orange. You know, oh, you know. Oh, look at that. And also, so they're flitting from one thing to the next constantly. And also, they're not discerning. They're like, you know, oatmeal poop. <laughs> they need someone to say they need mom or a brother or an uncle or another friend to go no, no eat poop (laughs) eat oatmeal instead but do you see do you see that's what Paul's saying he's saying if you are a spiritual infant if you have not had the church around you building you up and guiding you, it's going to be very difficult for you to discern between that's good teaching and that's bad teaching. That's junk teaching. That is unbiblical, tripe, and I need to stay away from it. And this is solid biblical meat that's going to improve my soul. You don't, you don't become a Christian and automatically know those two, the difference between those two. And so it's easy for people to get involved in really weird stuff, in really nasty things that is unbiblical teaching. And Paul knows this because he was having converts come into his churches all the time and there were always false teachers popping up within the churches he was planting that were like telling people, tickling ears, or whatever you want to call it, to draw them away from Jesus Christ and towards themselves. Some charismatic teacher who's got the true answer. You know, you, you've heard them all. You've seen them on television before. We need each other to guide each other so that we don't go towards the junk. 
and that we go towards the good stuff. And we need, it's not just me. We all need to do it with one another. Be encouraging one another in this way. Another thing about babies, real quick, is that they're incredibly self-centered. I mean, a baby wants to meet its own needs. How many other people's needs does it want to meet? How many? Goose egg. Zero. Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. And you have to constantly, no, share. Give it over here. No, your toys are not just for yourself. I mean, we spent, I feel like we spent the first, well, I don't want to say how many years. <laughs> Good amount of time just trying to help our children share with one another in our own family, much less with those outside of our own family. But y'all, I hate to say it, and the Bible is just being really realistic with us. And you have to remember that Paul is himself, is calling himself an infant. He's not just saying you infants. He's saying we're all, we are all that way. We're incredibly self-centered, and we need one another to go, share, share a little bit. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we keep each other steady, Instead of flitting from one thing to the other. Oh, yeah. Oh, that new teaching. Oh, that new thing. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's neat and shiny. Or junk oatmeal or meat. You know, helping one another get that. Or uh, making sure that we are not remaining incredibly self-centered people. Paul tells us, speaking the truth in love. That's it. See how simple it is? That's our application for today. So go, speak the truth in love to one another. Guess what? You can't. You can't. Because you, your personality, by the way that your uh, sin has worked in your life, you either fall into the camp of doing truth really well, and love kind of falls by the wayside. And you know how to really tell someone when they're doing something wrong, and you can cut, and you can really show them how you know, you've got the right answer. Or you're really loving and kind of namby-pamby. And you're afraid of really telling someone the truth about what they're doing to you or what they're doing to others or, you know, it might even be people in this church. And, and what Paul's saying is you've got to put those two together. It's got to be truth-telling to one another, but just absolutely saturated with good, wholehearted, caring love. Wholehearted, caring love. Someone will not hear the truth from you unless they know you love them. And if you really, truly love them, at times you have to speak the truth. It's the only way to truly love someone. You can't just avoid it constantly and constantly and constantly and constantly. But here's where we are helped. Even though no one can do that, and you either fall off one side of that bandwagon or you fall off the other. And you know it. You know exactly which one you fall off on, right? You're constantly getting in trouble either for being... People are being offended by what you're saying and like, oh, I don't want to hear from you anymore. Stop it. Too much truth. Ugh. Or, you know, you're, you're, you know yourself to be a namby-pamby and you can't really say that one thing you know you need to say to that person that you love and so you just constantly avoid it and then you'll think about it next week and then you avoid it some more. The gospel is how we do it. That's how we do it. The gospel is the most offensive thing you have ever had told to you in your entire life. It is so incredibly offensive. The gospel says, you are a sinner, and you don't even have the ability to help yourself. You are 
utterly and completely lost. You will continue to fall off the bandwagon. You will continue to sin. You will continue to disobey God. You will continue to hurt those around you. You are helpless. Woo, that's offensive, isn't it? If you really admit it to yourself, or if you really receive that truth, okay, then the gospel also says, but you are of such infinite worth, and you are so loved by God, that he is going to sacrifice himself for you. The ultimate message of love. That's what the gospel does. It says truth in love. And when the gospel gets down deep into our hearts, into the very core of who we are and what we do and what we think, we are then and only then able to speak the truth in love to those around us. But it's got to be after that has really worked its way into us to where we wake up in the morning and we know, oh, I, I am, I'm a wretch. But wow, am I loved. And is God just for me today? And is he going to guide me? And is he going to carry me? And is he going to push me into the lives of other people? We can do that with one another. So I encourage us, Christ Central Church. Again, I say it was the application. And it's Paul's application from this. It's how we grow. If we are going to grow as individuals in our spiritual walk, and if we are going to grow as a church to be more like Jesus, and that's what the Greek means here, the, the, thing, the little phrase that says to mature manhood, that it doesn't, that's, that's kind of a, a weird way of phrasing the Greek because the Greek is weird. The Greek is into the one person, the one big person. That's literally how you could translate it. And basically he's saying, you're going to become like one big walking Jesus. <laughs> that sounds kind of strange. Uh, when, I heard, when I first was studying this, I was like, oh, it's kind of like the Michelin man. <laughs> which, no, it's not. It's really not like the Michelin man. But it is the sense in which we become so unified in our love. And we have built each other up. And, and we are, our maturity is increasing to such a level that it is as though we are the hands and feet of Jesus to one another and to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, it is incredible how you work in our lives. You are a a triune God, and so you are perfectly unified, but also you are in perfect relationship, a diversity of relationship, where you give and love to one another in the Trinity. And so you have taught us as the church to both be unified and to celebrate our diversity, Lord. I pray that our diversity, as we begin to speak the truth in love to one another, as we get so deep in our relationships with one another, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to maturity in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. I'm going to talk to myself here, and I'm going to talk to some here I know. Lord, help us and me, help me to be able to receive the truth. And help me and help us to be able to receive the love. Lord, we're going to feel like we can't take the truth. And we're going to feel like we can't actually be loved in that way. But you have already shown us the way. Jesus, thank you for the gospel, for your love. And for this teaching, I pray that you would use it in a powerful way in our church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.